You're listening to the Eagles Insider Podcast. Now here's your host, Chris McPherson. Hello, Eagles fans, and welcome to the Eagles Insider Podcast. C-Mac here alongside Fran Duffy and Alex Smith. Uh, we are about 24 hours removed from the Eagles' 23-20 loss at the hands of the Washington Redskins, dropping the team to 1-3 and on the season. So we're going to look back at the game on Sunday, rehash what happened, and we'll take a look forward and uh, preview this Sunday's matchup with the New Orleans Saints. A little tip of the cap to the Saints with the overtime win over the Dallas Cowboys. Thank you very much. Well keeping, done, C.J. Spiller. Keeping the NFC East in check, so to speak. So the Eagles remain just one game out. And I know right now fans don't really want to hear that. They want to hear how this team can be fixed. And that will actually be the subject of our mailing it in segment. Sent out a little tweet just saying, what would you do to fix a team after the 1-3 and three start? I'm sure the fans were very vocal about that. Well, can't be vocal on Twitter, but you can voice an the opinion Twitter fingers Twitter. were active. We could say that. Okay. Put we'll that put one. it out there. Franny, you look a little tired. You look a little bleary-eyed. It's that time of year that time of year you know obviously look yesterday was you a need loss. a we all need a boost i think that's what you're we saying need a boost yeah we need a boost need to hit up some dunkin coffee get a little bit of a boost if that they had way. one yesterday we've been free cup today that's true so i was missing out that was my favorite fan complaint i think after the game <laughs> like of all the Someone stuff, did. all the stuff on twitter that comes through <laughs> and there's a ton of stuff that comes through but the people who are saying like thanks for not letting me get my free coffee today eagles those are those are my favorite ones. one of them was probably my wife sending in <laughs> <laughs> coffee a, a medium iced coffee is like what a dollar a dollar <laughs> hey, 89 hey, 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 it's just the fact that it's free. That's true. Come on. Now. It's a nice gesture. and Exactly. I enjoy it, too. I enjoy the promotion as well. Yeah. So thank you for everyone, to everyone who has subscribed. Make sure to rate and comment. Let us know what you want to hear on the podcast. If you have any different ideas for segments you want to see in the future, please let us know. I think let's just transition right into three and out, and let's rehash what happened Sunday down in Landover, Maryland. One, two, three, three. Three is a magic number. Now it's time for three and out. Yeah, I guess don't really feel like messing around, so to speak, here. You know, we could kind of go into some off-the-wall talk about the game here and there, but let's just rein it in here. So three and out, we're each going to take a different topic from the game, and I guess I'll start things off here. I'll go with the Eagles' defense, and there's a lot of people, a lot of fans, analysts who want to say, look, at the end of the game, they were too tired. Too many plays on the field. I don't know. Do you have the snap count there, Alex? You have the stat book, but that's not the one with the snap Yeah, count. this one does not have the snap okay. count in it. So. I believe it was about 25 play differential between the offense and defense. I think it, I think it was so been more game. than that. Oh, right? here it is. Actually, no, they, they have the total snaps in here. Okay. Uh, total plays 79 to 51. So you have. And if you count penalties in there, I think the Eagles defense was on 86, on the field for 86 snaps. So yeah. that's a lot of plays. A lot of plays, especially considering you lost Byron Maxwell, Yep. Mm-hmm. Michael Kendrick, Brandon Bear, you already were without Cedric Thornton and Taylor Hart. So the D line gave everything they had. Yeah. No question. Threw it all out there. The point I'm trying to make here is I don't want to use that as the excuse here sure. for what happened yesterday. Early on in the game, Dave Spadaro wrote a great column about the third down defense, and I think he was spot on. The draw play, Chris Thompson. The, the third down back who yeah, everybody talked about Alfred Morris. Everyone talked about Matt Jones. But, Fran, I think you were ahead of the curve on what Chris Thompson can do for Washington. Guy's been making plays since 2010. You know, you knew all about him. You said he's a guy to watch. Don't count him out of the mix. You know, had a 42-yard run up the middle. No one touched him until he was finally brought down. There were a number of instances where the third down defense could have gotten the Eagles off the field. That being said... They did keep the Eagles in the game, held them pretty much in check throughout, but you get to that final drive and to allow a 90-yard, 15-play drive. Felt like 90 Felt like plays. 90 plays. It yeah. might as well have been 90 <laughs> plays. 90-yard drive at the end of the game. Those are the types of drives, to me, that separate, you know, everyone wants to talk about whether this defense is set to be a great defense, if they're on the verge of getting to that level. That was a drive where someone had to make a play. That's a drive where someone steps up and gets a job done, gets the team off the field. Watching that game, I was here at the Novacare Complex, watching that game in the fourth quarter, Eagles with the explosive big plays, they rally from behind, down 13 nothing. they take the lead, you're feeling good, but when the offense wasn't able to muster anything for those couple drives in the fourth quarter after getting the lead, I just felt like they're letting him hang around. They just need one good drive to be able to take the lead. And you've already missed plenty of opportunities from Chip Kelly talked about his press conference, the two missed kicks by Caleb Sturgis. The touchdown that got taken off the board. Just too many opportunities already wasted. There was such a slim margin for error that you just felt that Washington was going to have a chance at the end. And they went down the field and 
you know, credit Kirk Cousins for leading the charge. 15 plays. I mean, the Eagles' methodology there was we're going to take away the run game for the most part, but you've got to beat us with your arm, Kirk. He got the job done finding Pierre Garçon. Because, again, no Deshaun Jackson, no Jordan Reed at that point in the game. Eric Rowe admitted on that final play that he was lined up out wide on Chris Thompson, that mm-hmm. Thompson was a decoy. It was not going to go to him. It should have gone to Garçon. That's what they saw in film. Well, Rowe, I thought, read that play pretty well because he, he, yeah. he put a lick on Garçon. Mm-hmm. Got to give credit to Garçon, too. That, was, that catch was, yeah. was unbelievable Yeah, through contact to be able to make well, that catch. Well, Rowe talked about it. He said that, like C-Mac was just saying, that he knew that Thompson was going to be a decoy on that play, and he saw that Cousins right away looked right at Garcon yep. as soon as he got the ball, and he broke on it, made the right break, just what a half second too late, uh, not even. It, and it wasn't even like, oh man, Rowe was really late there. Like he was no, just a second no, late no. for the throw. You know, like it was an unbelievable catch, an unfortunate way for the Eagles for that drive to end, and really for that game to end because you know I think that that was the drive. You know, obviously it's a ninety-yard drive. Or they, an they play drive played, in my, yeah, my mind. They, the defense had played at such a, a high level throughout the entirety of that game. We talked about how many plays they were on the field for. I thought that Fletcher Cox and Benny Logan were just dominant up front. I mean, I, I took the numbers down for what they did against the run, and it was pretty clear that Washington wanted to throw the ball. Obviously, that's the strength of that team. They ran the ball 28 times before that final drive, 39 yards. So many. If you, I'm sorry. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on. Well, did you that. take out? You took, you out, took the out the draw. The, take out the draw. I was about to say. I was like, wait, wait a draw. You had okay. 28 runs. Gotcha. 27 of those carries went for 39 yards. Gotcha. And then you add the draw. Okay. And they did such a great job of controlling the Redskins at the point of attack. It's just one of those things. Like, they just, they just couldn't come up with a play when they needed it. And, and they had been on the field for so long that day. You know, tough way to go out. That last drive was really tough for me to watch in the press box. It was weird, too, because it started, what, with like six minutes left on the clock. So you're not sure if that's going to be the final possession or how Washington's going to eat up the clock. Yep. But then they start picking up first down after first down, and the clock's still ticking. And it's like, all right, I'm starting to feel a little bit uneasy about this. And and as it just kept going and there were penalties that extended the drive, I was kind of pacing back and forth in the press box. I couldn't really sit down. And then I uh, I was walking down to the locker room for post-game access. And by the time I got down there and I watched the end of the game in the uh, press conference room, I didn't even see it live. I didn't watch it. I just that saw it on the closet? TV. Yeah. The cramped closet that is the uh, post-game room? Yes. FedEx? I do not miss going to that field whatsoever. It, it's not my favorite field. No. But I stood there. I watched it with uh, Ray Doyle, who's one of our uh, producers here we stood side by side and uh watched it uh did you hold watched it all unfold we did not hold hands okay but it was just you got that bad feeling like as the drive just kept going and going going we, now, all, look, we all know what happened again i think the defense has made great strides i think overall they played well enough to win again this is just the type of season where it's been where the defense has had to step up and been the more dominant unit than the offense to this point in the season and in some ways carry this football team and again one more play just one more moment where they were able to step up to the task I mean Chip Kelly said on Monday earlier today as we we're as we we're filming this that the point margin the margin of victory in the NFL is so small you know it's a one it's gonna be a one possession game pretty much each and every week in the league and you know, at the end of the year, I know right now the Eagles could be saying a kick here, a kick there. They could be three and one. You know, I look at the New York Football Giants, and they're probably saying that well, we should be four and zero. Oh. Yeah. Their first two weeks, they had double digit leads in the fourth quarter. They're definitely probably like one play here, one play there. They're four and zero. Oh. Forget two and two, and they could be the ones in control of the division. So it was a moment where you're hoping when everybody talks about the defense taking that next step that was the type of moment I wanted to see so uh, unfortunately it did not come to fruition yeah Kirk Cousins has one of the highest interception rates in the NFL I think might have the that highest too. and yeah. the Eagles just 46 how many attempts 46 on uh, uh, on Sunday let's check the numbers yep 31 of 46 yeah. 290 yards one touchdown 91.8 passer rating I mean they forced the fumble of Jordan Reed yep. but Brandon Graham got in there and and yeah. they put they they definitely put an emphasis on the on the quick game. You know, they, there weren't a ton of mm-hmm. shots downfield. They hit the one on that roll on the wheel route to Ross, which was a good look. I mean, that's, they beat the coverage. It was it was a perfect play against that coverage. Uh, you give them credit there, but you know they took what the Eagles were able to give underneath. The Eagles were trying to stop the big play, and you know he was able to dink and dunk their way down the field. All right, so that's my spiel on the defense. Just mentioned big explosive plays. Let's look at something positive that Eagles fans can take out of the victory and the fact that we saw the vertical pass game come to life. It was nice to see, and there's been so much talk this year about how Sam Bradford isn't looking to throw deep and he's just going to take the quick route if it's there, and how you know this is a team that's built on the rushing attack, and they wouldn't be able to get those deep plays if they weren't able to run the ball effectively. That's what Chip Kelly has said throughout the season. But the Eagles ran the ball effectively a little bit at the start. I know 
know, DeMarco Murray had that that one thirty yard gain. But after that, the running game, as we know, wasn't really there. Eighteen carries for eighty seven yards for the Eagles. But despite that, the Eagles were still able to take their shots deep. And I think that was really good to see out of Sam Bradford. I really thought he battled back and, and gave a gritty performance in the second half, taking those shots deep. He found Nelson Aguilar in the first half for 45 yards, which, by the way, I think it's not a big sample size, but I think this was Nelson Aguilar's best game to date. Three catches for 64 yards, but Bradford found him deep. Obviously, he hit Cooper for the 62-yard score, and then Miles Austin for 39 yards to take the lead. And, you know, seeing Bradford put the ball right on the money, which is what we saw out of him in preseason. When he was throwing these deep balls, he was putting it right on receivers' hands, and it's a part of the passing game that we hadn't seen to this point. Point, and I think it was really good to see that come back and become part of the game in the second half. Lots to dissect there. It's amazing that the vertical pass game got going in the second half when they didn't have Jason Peters. Mm-hmm. And that they have the makeshift, makeshift offensive line of Matt Tobin playing left tackle, Dennis Kelly playing right guard. Mm-hmm. Lane Johnson was banged up mm-hmm. for a period of time. I forget which score he got injured on, but I mean, he got injured. I, f- I feel like it was... Might have been the Cooper. So the first touchdown? one was it the first touchdown? I feel like it was on the extra point after it one. It was extra point after one of them. Yeah, I forget. What I think it was on the Cooper touchdown because that was the one that was coming towards the press box where we were. Okay, and that was where I remember Lane Johnson going. Well, down. then he was out there for the other two scoring drives, and after that, mm-hmm. battling through injury. So it's interesting what changed from that standpoint. What allowed Bradford from the pass protection standpoint, to Mm -hmm. be able to go deep. And we also talked about it coming into it that Washington's secondary was very banged up. Certainly. They're without D'Angelo Hall. Chris Culliver did play, but they were still shorthanded in the secondary. And I think the Eagles just said, you know what, we're going to take our shots. We're not running the ball very effectively right now. Let's try to throw it down the seams. Let's try to hit those deep posts. And they were able to do it. You know, I think part of it, too, was that you were able to keep Bradford upright. You were able to protect them. They tried to take some shots in the first half, and for one reason or another, uh, on the different occasions, Bradford wasn't upright. You know, he got pressured. Uh, he was brought down for a sack on the very first third down of the game. There was a shot for a deep dig with two vertical routes inside. You know, there were, there were a number of different occasions there where they had either shots for a big play or shots for a touchdown where, unfortunately, pressure impeded the success of the play. So I'll just jump into my third point here okay. uh, for three and out. And, offensive and that's line. Really, yeah, looking at the offensive line, and really, I think what it comes down to is, and I, I touched on this on the Eagle Column for today. In the process of editing, as we yes. tape this. The Eagles have had, obviously have had issues on third down, especially yesterday. You know, they were 4 of 12 yesterday on third down. Nine of those 12 plays were for six yards or more. So you're looking at really, you know, you're not, it's not third manageable at all. And so, and Chip Kelly actually brought it up in his press conference today that lack of success on third down is because of a lack of success on first and second down. And, uh, and that's been a problem. And that's been a problem consistently. I mean, they had 24 first downs yesterday against uh, Washington. Eight of them went for more than four yards, 14 of them went for three yards or less. So, 14 of your 24 first down plays went for three yards or less. And what's uh, the break? Do you have the breakdown of run to pass? I don't have the breakdown okay. here of run to pass, but sorry, it's an impressive sheet you have there. So Thank you. I, I mean, sure. I, you know, it's it's because you're trying to break it down. There really is no consistent theme other than the fact that one play here it could be you know the uh, you know one of the tackles misses a block. One play here it could be uh, you know there was there was pressure up the middle that forced Sam Bradford to get rid of the ball early. I mean, you know, it could be that the running back missed a block or the tight end missed a block. You know, all these different it's something different every time. Or hey, it was it was blocked up nice, but you got to drop. Or it was blocked up nice and the throws behind. You know, it's it's something different every single time. You know, whether it's in the run game or the pass game. So that's what it is. I mean, across the board. And I know it's kind of it's kind of become like a, the butt of some jokes in the media and with fans right now. Everyone's just got to execute. I mean, they just they have to do what they're supposed to do. You saw that in the second half when they were going for some of those deep shots you saw the ability to hit on some of these plays that the Eagles have hit before these weren't new plays that Chip Kelly drew up in the dirt on uh, on the <laughs> sideline you know I mean these were plays it was muddy so it was play. easier yeah. to especially yeah. the sideline the, the turf on the sideline was just gross because oh, sure. they didn't have it covered they had the field covered but it was it was gross yeah but uh, you know I mean it, it's not like these were just new plays that magically all oh, that now we why weren't we running these from the beginning yeah. it's the same thing with the run game I mean these are these are schemes that they've run before players know the plays this isn't some magic new formula uh, that they're trying something different I mean this is all the stuff that we've been running and you've had success with so you just got to do your job the thing is there's nothing that people are going to be able to pull out thin air that's going to be able to fix what's happened in the first four weeks of the season. Right. So there's something that we were kind of texting each other, discussing amongst ourselves after the game late last night. And Alex, you're the one brought it up. Maybe do the Eagles have to become a big play offense where you are yeah. typically the bread and butter. And this is 
It's a little crazy to think about it, but all offseason, this has been built as a run-first operation. You're going to you know, sustain the rushing attack and use that to pull in the extra defenders in the box, and then you can take your shots deep. But what if wow. it's the other way around? What if the big passing plays open up the run game? And I know that's kind of backwards thinking, but if you go back to 2013 when the Eagles set the NFL record for most big plays in the season. 99. Yes, LaShawn McCoy had a lot of those on the ground, but I mean, they were airing it out. They were throwing the deep balls to Deshaun Jackson. They were throwing the deep balls to Riley Cooper, who had a, a huge year that year. So, you know, maybe the passing plays will actually open up the run. Maybe they do go to a more vertical look and they look for those plays now that they know that they're able to hit on a couple of them. So it's just something to think about, I think. To me, I think it's not that it's easy to say that, but ideally, yeah pie in the sky we would become a big play offense but if you can't block for a three-yard run or if you can't block for right. an eight-yard pass How you're not gonna you? be able to block for a 35-yard touchdown either like you got you but they gotta, were doing that in a sec that's why well, that's, it was so well, that, bizarre. I mean, they, they were able to but they were able to execute for you know for 12-yard gains and things like that too i mean it's, you have to be able to do your job it's like the bill belichick that you do your job not just that but do your job well i mean you got you have to do what you're expected to do on any given play because at the end of the day you have to score more points than the opposition right and i don't think that taking that approach is anything sustainable by any stretch of the imagination but if that's leading to points obviously you're going to have the more penchant for three and outs but the eagles are already dealing with that they're already facing with that situation so you already have the defense out there for so at least maybe if they have more points to work with at least earlier in the game and again this is pie in the sky thinking right you know and to me a lot of discussion about chip kelly and the sports science has come up you know in light Mm -hmm. of the injuries that happen to me you're not going to be able to completely erase everything there's not there's no one magic answer if there was everyone would do it. everyone would be doing yeah. it. and that's what chip kelly said if it was just hydration if it was just this that and the other you would do it and someone fix would it have figured it out by now yeah exactly to me a coach's job is to minimize risk so you know people want to maybe want to make fun of the smoothies and the protein shakes and all that kind of stuff if you can improve a player's health and decrease the chance of injury why not do it you're not doing any harm to your program right you're not going to eliminate but maybe by a percentage point here or there you can do it you're trying to just find Find any edge possible. And the same way when you go to play call, you're trying to do high percentage plays that are going to have the best chance of success. It's just with this group of personnel, this collection of talent, are those types of plays possibly different than maybe what you had envisioned or imagined when you'd put this roster together? So that's the thing is what can they do moving forward is as simple as execute maybe it is and maybe like in 2013 when okay they did lead the league in explosive plays but the team sputtered at times yeah they, they were started, they were one and three they were one and three then they rallied they had the win over the giants where nick Foles had to take over mm-hmm. the win in tampa they're three and three all right and i remember the feeling in philadelphia dallas coming to town teams three and three nick Foles is taking over as a mm-hmm. starter everyone's feeling good and they put up a clunker Yep. I think first place was on the line in the NFC East. Yeah. At that point. Yeah. Put up a clunker. And then they Giants the next week, too. And then Foles got hurt. Mm-hmm. Vic was hurt, too, because he still had the hamstring injury, I believe. Yep. And then the next week, you were like, well, should Vic start? He clearly wasn't 100%. And then the Giants were able to dominate. Yep. And the, the Eagles were 3-5. and five, And they go to Oakland and have seven touchdowns. You know, just a ridiculous game for the ages. It's interesting because I think Chip Kelly talked about today as well is that they just need something to spark them. Like they need that one thing. And I think in 2013, it was Nick Foles where he came into that Giants game and he was tremendous in that game yeah. uh, off the bench. He was awesome in that game. And then the Oakland game a few weeks later when again at three and five, everybody had their doubts about where the season was going. And Nick Foles throws for seven touchdowns and it's this incredible performance. Everybody's talking about it. And from there, they were just on a roll. And I think the Eagles, and I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know who it's going to come from, but I think the Eagles need that one spark. It's got to be Sam. At the end of the day, it's got to be the quarterback. I think we all went into the season saying that this team is going to go as far as Sam Bradford takes them, whether that's fair or not. You go back to all the offseason comments about the importance of getting a franchise quarterback. That's what dictates the ceiling a team can have. And I thought we actually may have seen that from Sam during the Washington game on the Selleck touchdown because that I think that was after he had hurt his ankle and that was a really scary moment to watch because you see him kind of get up slowly and the first thing you think is his knee and then he takes one step and as soon as he takes the one step he freezes in his tracks and it's his knee again it has to be so you watch him go over to uh, the trainer's table and you see them working on his ankle you get the official word that they were working on his ankle and he will return to the game that could have been a really defining moment where in the past we've seen Sam get hurt and he comes back in and he 
he he gives that st- on the Brent Stug play. He gives the stiff arm. He scrambles out. Yeah, floats a perfect ten yard pass to Selleck. And I thought that was like a real comeback moment for him. And if the game would have turned out a different way, I thought maybe that could have been a, maybe. a changing play in the season. But it just it just didn't work out that way with the result of the game. Helps that Selleck caught the ball. Sure. I mean, it was it was it was a nice throw too. He, a nice stiff arm, and it, again, it's something that I don't know if people were expecting out of Sam Bradford. And he rolled out a little oh. bit, and it was a nice throw. All right, so apologies for the long rant there, but it's what the podcast is for. So just to try to delve into different ideas as uh, we try to get things turned around here. So that's gonna do it for three and out. Now let's transition to the interview. And now it's time for what you've all been waiting for: the interview. This week on the interview on the Eagles Entire Podcast, we welcome rookie second-round pick Eric Rowe into the studio. Eric, do you like the intro there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, if uh, if you were caught sleeping in a position meeting, what would happen to you? Uh, oh, I mean. The reason we ask <laughs> is our uh, producer, Chris Stevens, Peach is over there getting caught napping here as we're taping the podcast so you know he's a he's a rookie too so i want to make sure that he doesn't get <laughs> uh i mean from what i've seen i mean i never fell asleep but man, i've seen it happen i mean the worst <laughs> i've seen he just make you stand up okay the rest of the meeting so i mean and that probably wakes you up that's probably actually a good thing yeah it's a good thing because i mean you can't i mean if you can that'd be weird but you can't really sleep standing up so i mean i, I mean I, that's just the worst i've seen Eric, because we're filming this on Tuesday, you're just getting out of a special rookie meeting. What are, what are some of the things that the Eagles have done to kind of uh, welcome you and get you acclimated to the professional life that is the NFL? Oh, uh, we talk about several things. Um, you know, mainly mainly the things off the field like time management. Um, you know, how to keep a budget, how to understand your paychecks. You know, talk about taxes. You know, what's getting taken out. Uh, you know what to do. I mean, just just off the field stuff like that to help us come. I mean, I mean we you know we just come in here and they just throw it all in your face. And you know we never really had. I mean, college we never you know really had never had money like that or, of course, or, you know that much free time off the field because we always had school and stuff. So I wait, mean, isn't the joke that unless you went to like USC or another program like that, you would have the money? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you don't do that, at Utah. <laughs> All good know. at Utah, but other places. I don't know. I can't, I can't <laughs> but is that something? Because everyone just thinks, you know, hey, you got all this free time to prepare and practice and play, but you're getting used to a new environment, a new city, new playbook. You know, you're playing against obviously the best of the best. You know, how difficult is it making that transition all at the same time? Um, I mean, it's, it's pretty tough. Um, I mean, because you, you got a lot of free time and. I mean, either you can use it to your advantage or you can, you know, procrastinate or or just do other stuff to waste it, you know, stuff to not, not really, like, help you uh, on the field. So, I mean, that, and, you know, plus, you know, obviously, like you said, New City, like, for me, this is, I mean, i never been on the East Coast, so it's a totally different environment for me, you know. Uh, even though I was away from my family, I mean, I had a lot of connections at Utah, you know, now I'm out here just by myself, uh, so that's pretty tough, but uh i mean it's getting it's getting a, a lot smoother now because we're in season got things rolling but you know first going here in the summer i mean it was tough to transition to it do you have a roommate out here one of the other players or uh no no okay is there one of the other rookies you spend the most time with outside uh of here yeah uh denzel rice jordan hicks um well jacory shepherd before he got hurt i mean i'll go over and chill at his house but um, mm-hmm. You know, we always try to hang out on a free time. What's that bond like with you and Jordan and Denzel? Uh, even really more so with Jordan because of the roles that you guys have had to take on the last couple of weeks. We actually have a photo from the Jets game when you made that interception. And Jordan is coming down to the end zone. You guys are celebrating high five. And it seemed like a nice bonding moment between the two of you. What, have, what has the last couple of weeks been like for the two of you growing and, and getting adjusted to, you know, this expanded – the expanded roles you've had in this defense uh i mean it's i mean it's been a good you know learning experience um for both of us you know i mean our people above us you know kind of went down in one play you know now they're just throwing us in so i mean that's a that's kind of a big thing but you can't you know you got to be prepared for it um but you know kind of off the field uh we i mean we we i mean we hang out a lot uh i say i spend about equal time with him and Denzel. Okay. Um, but 
you know, at times, you know, we'll go to the basketball court and just shoot, you know, or I think a couple of times me and Jordan, we went to go uh, to driveway and shoot some golf, play some golf. So, uh, I mean, off the field, you know, we, we got, you know, we got a nice bond, almost like a college, college-like uh, setting. Our producer, Brian Thomas, uh, nodding his head at the golf reference, very happy about the, uh, <laughs> the playing golf. Uh, what was it like? Take me back to the Jets game when you had to get thrust into action like that. What is that like on the sidelines when you're kind of sitting there and you're like, oh, I, I've got to be ready. My number's being called. I'm going to be put out there. What were the, the moments like for you leading up to that? Uh, well, kind of all week, I, I you know, I had a had an idea that, you know, he might throw me in because I knew our safety was, he was, you know, kind of battling injuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I can talk about more about the Redskins game when, uh, Byron Maxwell just went down just okay. like that. Yeah, I mean, first series of the game. Yeah, yeah, like first series. You know, I was coming in the game like, okay, you know, I'll be, you know, I'm ready, I prepared, but uh, my focus, you know, special teams because that's what I'm on starting on. And then all of a sudden, you know, first series, he's running out, and I mean, I got to hop right in. So, uh, I mean, it, it didn't. It kind of took me by surprise because I mean, I didn't expect him to get hurt like that. But uh, preparation wise, I mean, I was ready. The only feelings I had were just, you know, anxious and nervous. You know getting out there you know playing a good majority of snaps for the first time um but that's just something that you, you know you always got to prepare in the, uh, in the week of practice for how much faster does it get when you get out there on the field i mean it's it, from i think from practice to game it's, it's not a big uh okay. not a change because chip likes to run the practice fast so in the game i mean it's actually maybe like a little bit slower um just the only thing you know first couple of plays you know I got, I got to get the feel of receiver but after that I mean this it just feel like everything's you know like in slow motion what's it like watching and studying receivers on tape at this level and then using that to kind of gauge and prepare to face them on the field uh because I mean a couple of receivers you know they like to do if you're playing like press technique they like to do a lot of stuff off the line uh you know you got to find a way to counter that or some receivers they just try to speed release and just go and beat you with speed so you know, you have to study them on film and kind of know what you're going to go against. So, you know, in practice, you can, I don't know, practice uh, like like your like your man technique on how to how to counter counter his moves. Do you have the scout team, you know, kind of uh, mirror those those moves at all? Do you have those guys or ask those guys to do those moves to kind of get you used to it? Since you kind of see, like, say you're studying Pierre Garcon, you realize, okay, you see what he likes to do coming off the line. Could you go to one of the scout team players and say, "Can you just mimic it so I know what it's going to look like on game day?" Uh, I mean, yeah, you can ask them, but I think at the same time, since our practice moves so fast, you know, uh, on the scout cards they only have X, Y, Z. They mm-hmm. don't, they don't know who's who. Got They're it. just out there running routes. So, I mean, you don't know if that was ADA or that could have been. They just do it by position. They don't do. Yeah, they don't do certain okay. certain players. So, uh, I mean, you can ask them, but I mean, I'm I'm sure they'll tend to forget because they got to look at the routes, and they got to know the splits, get that down and detailed. I'm sure they're like, and practice moving fast. So I'm thinking the last thing uh, they're thinking of, like, all right, what did I don't know number fourteen? What's his release like? So uh, I mean, you can ask them, but you know, I, I you know, I don't really expect it to get it done. How much of a learning experience was the game for you on Sunday? I mean, it, it was it was a lot, like on the physicality level i mean i never played that you know many majority of the snaps and it's, i mean it's, it's it's really physical out there you know guys you know running backs receivers you know when they get the ball in their hands they're running hard and uh i mean i, I see why injuries come up <laughs> <laughs> but uh i think that that you know it's a good learning experience like i didn't really know how physical the game was so i was in the majority of the snaps uh so i think that's a good thing to learn off of were you surprised to get flagged for the pass interference in the end zone um, it, it caught me off guard. I mean, I saw the film and the the receiver in the game. He told me I, I think he's I think he thought I I pulled the guy's arm down and I mean clearly I mean I didn't pull his arm down. I would just look and lean for the ball. Uh, I guess I don't know. It was just like a kind of a fifty fifty call depending on what ref is out there. So Bill Davis was surprised. He talked to the media as we're filming this on Tuesday earlier today and said that. You know, I thought Eric played it as cleanly as you could have asked for. You know, it's one of those things like maybe if you're one of the established veterans in the league, <laughs> maybe maybe you get that call. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on what you know. What I guess the view of the ref. I mean, I feel like I've been doing that same technique. You know, I did it in the Jets game the same thing. So I guess you know, it really depends on who's out there. What is the art 
of getting an interception. If you take us back to that game against the Jets the week earlier. Uh, your eyes, you know, it's all about your eyes and your feet. Uh, I mean, but even if you do get beat off the line, you know, the play's not over. You just got to, you know, recover. And once you recover, uh, you know, once you know the ball's coming your way, you know, the main thing is to look back so you really won't get the easy P.I. call because if you don't look back, then most likely will be a P.I. But really the art is just, you know, using your eyes and feet. What is the mood like in the locker room this week? Team is 1-3, big game against the Saints, high-powered offense. You know, Byron Maxwell sasses up in the air. You might have to play a lot of reps again. What's the mood like in the locker room this week, getting ready for the game? Uh, to, really just to get better. I mean, I, everyone's focus is no one's in panic mode, definitely not. Uh, you know, we're all just coming here, you know, we're, we're working harder now because uh, obviously we really want this win. But, uh, I mean, we're not getting blown out or just, just steamrolled over. It just it just comes down to a play or two, and that's really like a mental thing. So, you know, everyone's coming to work, you know, ready to, ready to practice, ready to practice hard. How much trash talk has there been between you and Matt Harper, assistant defensive backs coach over the uh, Utah-Oregon rivalry? <laughs> well, I mean, we, during that week, we were talking a little bit. He kept saying, like, no, Oregon's going to take it. And I was, I was trying to tell him, uh, like. <laughs> not this year. No, not this year. It's finally Utah's year, isn't it? You're like. like we, were, <laughs> we were close the past two years, and they had Marcus Mariota, but now he's gone. Like, I, I was telling him it's over now. <laughs> Eric, thank you very much for joining us here on the Eagles Insider Podcast. Best of luck to you the rest of the season. All right, thank you. Time to get ready for game day. It's time for Enemy Intel. All right, Fran. Eagles and Saints, let's jump right into it and break it down. Uh, I think the big question with the Saints that a lot of Eagles fans will have on their mind this week is how their offense works without Jimmy Graham. We know the gigantic numbers that he put up over the last five years in New Orleans. They take him out of the picture. What changes with their offense? Well, the big thing that you take into account is in the last few years, they were very much a vertical pass game. You know, you had Jimmy Graham who could attack teams down the field. He can attack at every level, but you had the ability to run those deep wheel routes and vertical routes with him. They were a big three-level stretch team, for instance. And I haven't seen as much of the three-level stretch, not as much of the you know those deep vertical pass concepts. They lost Kenny Stills as well, who was a big vertical threat for them. You know, now it's much more based upon the screen game. They were a big screen team when Sean Payton and Drew Brees first got together, so that's not a big surprise. Mark Ingram leads the team in receptions. C.J. Spiller had the big touchdown catch to, to win it in overtime for them. So they incorporate the running backs into the screen game very, very often, and they run a lot of the quick game, three-step, you know, the West Coast offense principles that we've seen from a lot of teams, you know, in recent years. So you have those different high-low concepts, all those quick hitters. We saw a lot of them actually this past week against uh, against Washington. New Orleans will run a lot of the same plays in that three- to five-step pass game. So how does Brandon Cooks fit into that? If he's a guy who I think of him as a vertical, deep-threat kind of guy, a speedy receiver, how does he fit into that quick-strike passing attack? Well, because what they'll do with him is he's very much a part of the screen game as well, and they run a lot of screen passes to him, whether he's in the slot or whether he's by himself as an ex-receiver. And then also, you know, when they do take those shots, he's often the vertical guy. One other player that they've got there that's pretty intriguing, he actually leads the team in receiving yards, is Willie Sneed, who's a second-year receiver Mm -hmm. from Ball State. Really only comes on the field in those four receiver sets, but when he's been on the field, he's been very, very effective and has been probably to this point their big play guy. You know, they've got really good size at the receiver position because you've got Marcus Colson, who's been there for forever now, it seems sure. like. And Brandon Coleman, the young player from Rutgers, who a lot of people were very high on early in his career at Rutgers, and then he kind of fell off the face of the earth. You know, a lot of people thought he was going to be a tight end. Now, what they'll do, they do some very different things creatively, offensively with him, where they'll come out in a three receiver set with Cooks out wide by himself, and then a bunch formation with Ben Watson, the tight end, Colston, and Brandon Coleman over to the other side. And what that does is that you can run and pass to that side because you've got in essence, you've got three guys that could potentially serve as tight ends, but then also you can do things from a pass perspective as well to that side. So very, very creative offense, not a, an offense where you're looking and you're like, man, like how are we going to stop player A, B, C? Mm-hmm. But they've got a lot of different threats in the past game, a lot of different ways they can try and beat you. Let's uh, switch things up a little bit, look at the Saints secondary, uh, specifically at the safety position. Jarris Bird was a guy who, in 2014 free agency, a lot of Eagles fans were hoping that he ended up here. He goes to New Orleans, signs the big contract, and and he's been banged up for most of his time with the Saints. He finally came back against Dallas, had a couple tackles. But with Bird and Kenny Vaccaro, how do the Saints deploy their safeties? They use their safeties very interesting ways, you know, and they play a lot of dime. They play a lot of nickel 
And when they play nickel, Kenny Vaccaro is very often the guy that comes down and plays in the slot, very much like how Malcolm they, they, Jenkins, like Malcolm Jenkins. Now, he is their tight end guy, so when Zach Ertz is on the field, I would imagine that it'll be Kenny Vaccaro lined up over him in coverage when they do play man-to-man. They play them very different. And when Jairus Bird wasn't in the game, you know, when he's been hurt, do you know the safety that's been getting quality snaps for them in the back end? Former Eagle. Former Eagle, Saints safety. Uh, where's the Jeopardy music when you need it? <laughs> this is going to kill me. It's Kenny Phillips. I, do, I, I was just looking through their stats yesterday, and I saw Kenny Phillips' name, and I was like, wait a minute. Is that the same Kenny Phillips yes, who was here? It is the same one Kenny Phillips. He had a who, great Eagles career. Oh, yeah, absolutely. One training camp. Yeah, and he was a great guy. You know, everyone kind of thought he was just shot, and he, he yeah. was out of the league last year. You know, now he played quality snaps early on in the season for them. They've got another guy, a young guy, Jamarcus Sanford, who's played there on the back end. They move those safeties around, and they play. Actually, and the other thing is that they're not afraid to move some of their corners into the back end to play safety as well. Rob Ryan is very creative with his use of defensive backs. I can remember when we played the Saints in the playoffs a couple years ago in Chip Kelly's first year. Mm-hmm. They played not only nickel, not only dime, but they would play in what is called a dollar package, where it wasn't six DBs, it was seven DBs on the field, and they would really just get a ton of of speed on the field you know when you have a secondary that's got a bunch of these big guys that can run you know they've got Brandon Brown or they've got Keenan Lewis kid Delvin Bro who came over from the CFL Damian Swan who was a, a rookie from Georgia I mean they play a lot of these guys they rotate guys in and out and they're not afraid to shift some of them back into the safety spot either sticking on that defense and all the guys that they have moving in and out they have a lot of rookies who are yes. getting a lot of snaps for them how do all those new faces fit into the puzzle well they took Stefan Anthony in the yep. first round of the draft with out the of Jimmy Graham Exactly. The pick that they traded for Jimmy Graham. Exactly. And Anthony uh, has been a do-everything player for them, was one of the standout players in the Senior Bowl, was one of the combine standouts as well with his athletic numbers. So they move him all over the formation. You see him carrying slot receivers down the seam. You see him attacking the run and uses a blitzer. They move him all over the place. And in that same linebacking course, starting at the strong side, you've got Haoli Kikaha from Washington, who has really been a very disruptive force for them. I mean, he's their leading tackler. Uh, he leads the team in sacks with three. He's got two tackles for loss. He's got three quarterback hurries. He's got two forced fumbles. He wasn't a great athlete. I wasn't the biggest fan of, of Kikaha, but has been very, very productive for them, and they move him all over the place. You, you know, Sometimes he'll be in a two-point stance over the tight end. Other times he'll be lined up with his hand in the ground. Sometimes he'll be lined up over the A-gap. They move him all over the place. He's been very, very productive for them. Kikaha has been a factor. Another rookie right behind him at strong side linebacker, Kasim Etabali out of uh, Boston College, has been effective. You know, On the back end, I mentioned Swan I loved Damian Swan at, at Georgia. You know, a Shrine game guy, played the slot for the Bulldogs last year, and, you know, he talked to him about the combine, and he loved playing in the slot. I mean, he relished the idea of playing in the slot, even though he was six feet tall. So he got good size, he had good length, but he also had the athleticism and the quickness, the instincts as well to play inside. So he's been a factor for them early. I think he was a fourth or fifth round pick. Tyler Davison from Fresno State plays as that backup to Kevin Williams there. I mean, they've got a number of different guys. They traded Akeem Hicks last week, uh, the, the veteran defensive end. They traded him to New England and they got back the tight end there from the Patriots but that get that opens up a spot here for Bobby Richardson a guy that we had talked about in the spring from Indiana another rookie defensive lineman who was really really disruptive as a 3-4 defensive end and now he's going to play that role again here for New Orleans and you, you just see up and down the roster I mean so many rookies playing I'm playing well for this defense and you know it hasn't showed up in the numbers yet but this they've really flipped what this team looked like from last year to this year. Well, we will see how it all shakes out on Sunday. Great stuff, Fran. Thanks a lot, as always, here in Enemy Intel. Be sure to check out Fran's eagle eye in the sky pieces on PhiladelphiaEagles.com as he gives a complete All-22 breakdown of every Eagles matchup. And now let's move ahead into game time. Get out your scorecards. It's game time. Lighten the mood a little bit here, guys. Let's play a game. So... Since we're playing the Saints this week, I'm going with the Louisiana theme. And I was kind of, you know, mulling it over. What could I do? Something with Bourbon Street or Voodoo? or But I ended up settling on what I think is the best season of dramatic television ever. And that would be season one of True Detective, which takes place in Louisiana. Well done. Okay. okay. Never seen a show. That's okay. You don't really have to. But so along the lines of True Detective... But since we're mixing in the Saints and Drew Brees, we're playing Drew Detective Wait, today. Here's the thing. Isn't Matthew McConaughey part of that season? I was going to go that route, yeah, but I is. decided to let him roll. I right. decided to let it go. Well, okay. what's, the, what's the beef with McConaughey? He uh, apparently, reportedly, was at the Redskins Hotel before the game on Sunday and gave them a big speech what? and uh, you know riled the team up. I'm a big McConaughey fan, though. I think uh, absolutely. But anyway. All right, all right, all right. So... 
Let's play some Drew Detective here. So okay. I'm going to give you guys a couple of scenarios, things that are happening around the league, and you guys have to investigate and explain why these things are happening. So okay. you, get to, you get to play Drew Detective. Okay. First up. Drew Detective. Drew Detective. Drew Brees. The Cincinnati Bengals are undefeated. Play Drew Detective. What is the reasoning behind their undefeated start? Balance offensive attack. A.J. Green's healthy this season. Marvin Jones, nice compliment. Ground game, Jeremy Hill, three touchdowns in their win yesterday. Giovanni Bernard's been a nice compliment, and Andy Dalton's uh, making plays for them. And defense has been solid, but they're just a, a well-balanced team. The question is, is this a team that I think they're good poised to make a playoff run? The question is, can they actually win in the postseason? I think it looks like that they're built to do so, but you know, this is a veteran team that's been together for a while, and they've got plenty of good pieces, so... That's, that's my take on them. Tyler Eifert healthy as well. The defense is taking the next step. The question is, like C-Mac said, is can they take the next step in the playoffs and, and win in the postseason? And, that, and that's going to be the big question for them because they've got a good coaching staff. Hugh Jackson, I think, is pretty well respected around the league in terms of his creativity offensively. Got a lot of playmakers there, a lot of guys, because they've had injuries over the past couple of years. So a lot of guys have had to step in and fill in and have seen quality playing time. So you see a, uh, a Marvin Jones and a Muhammad Sanu and some of the other guys that they've got there. Gio Bernard has made a number of different players. Jeremy Hill just came on this past week. They've got a lot of experience there. So, yeah, I think it's that's pretty much why they're 4-0. Next up, as a whole, kicking is down in the NFL. Chip Kelly talked about today. Play Drew Detective. What's going on with kicking in the NFL this year? That's a, that's a tough one. I really have our time deciphering this one because you would say of all the positions going from college level to the pro level, you know, obviously the hash marks are different, but the fundamental art of kicking the ball is the same. And you have kickers in college who succeed. I mean, let's look at Alex Henry. He performed, you know, valiantly at Nebraska, was a proficient kicker, one of the all, NCAA's all-time most accurate kickers, and played in a, in a tough environment from a weather standpoint. All those things you figure would transition to the NFL. Why didn't it for more than a year? I don't know. Certainly there's more pressure on the kickers with the extra points this year that it's not the automatic chip shot you know 33 yard field goals yes that should be something that all mm -hmm. kickers should make but obviously the nfl wanted to make it more difficult i have a hard time placing it it's probably it's like a golf swing it's something that mechanically you could try to fix and maybe nine times out of ten you'll have the right kick but if you don't have it on that one attempt it's going to go off kilter and it's very much a mental game too very much so i, I really can't pinpoint why there's such a dilemma but I forget who exactly said it on Twitter that forget the golf club. I'm getting my kids to start kicking when they're kids so that. That's uh, Eagles Network producer Joe Helder is teaching his kid how to getting kick. Getting the kids yeah. kicking? Yes. You initially, since you're blaming the, uh, or you know, you want to see what the reason is and you go back to college football, I think everyone's gut reaction is just to blame spread offenses. And you can't. It's, it's, <laughs> you yes. can't because of the kicker I'm position. trying to think of how to do that here and I can't, I can't come uh, up with a reason. Exactly. Can I blame, since this is true detective, can I blame, true it, on detective. The, can I blame it on the yellow king? You can if you want to. Could be on the if you want to go there. You know, I, I don't know, man. I mean, I think it's like C-Mac said. It's, it's very much a mental aspect. And just like with every other position coming from college to the NFL, there's the physical factors. There's the production factors. There's the position-specific factors. Then there's the mental side of it when you're looking at these guys and how they transition into the NFL and how are they going to handle the pressure and just the change in atmosphere to being a professional football player. You know, the heat turns up in the kitchen a little bit. If you can't take the heat. What are you gonna do? I don't want to go. I don't want to labor point too much longer. But I look at David Akers, one of the greatest kickers, if not the greatest kicker in Eagles history, and he was with two teams: Washington, Carolina, I believe, before landing with the Eagles. Mm -hmm. So we traded David Flewellen for Cody Parkey, who was a Pro yeah. Bowl kicker. So you know, so you I never mean, know. It's you just need the right situation, the right timing. But it is it is interesting that how the kicker position is looked at in the locker room. It's almost like he's not a real football player. You know, because he's not out there during training camp, you know, grinding out, you know, doing line drills, things of that nature. But that's the guy you need to get you those clutch points on game day. So other than quarterback, perhaps the most pressure packed position, maybe in the NFL, if you have one bad game, you're depending on who you are. You don't know what could happen. Maybe all the best kickers are just going to EPL. What do you think, PT? There you go. He agrees. All right. What's EPL? I, 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 <laughs> I'm not a soccer fan, but I know what that is. Uh, I, mean, I, I don't. Yeah. Either, but, yeah. Yeah. Moving on. The Atlanta Falcons are undefeated, and honestly, they're just making teams look bad along the way. If you had to pinpoint one person of who's to blame for their hot start, play Drew Detective, identify that person. Of who's to blame. Who's to blame or who's responsible? Who's responsible for, who's, okay. who's most responsible for their 4-0 start? Julio Jones. I mean, you saw what he, he did. He had a quiet game this week, though. 
because they were up by Amazing. 35. Good, because I have a, I have another, uh, I have another. I mean, I'm just, this is the the simplistic answer here, you know. But I mean, Julio Jones was outstanding the first couple of weeks and got him to those come from behind wins. So for week one against the Eagles, Eagles rally to take the lead. All of a sudden, who's the go-to guy? Julio Jones against the Giants in week two. They need to come from behind. Julio Jones, Dallas Cowboys. He's been the guy. You could have argued he was the MVP through the first three weeks of the season, whatever that means. And but the, still, the good thing is too is that he's healthy this year, which and that has been an issue for him in the past. Yeah. I, I would say it's Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, uh, I was that's that's the next guy. You know, because even when it's not Julio, I mean, you see what what Devontae Freeman has done over the past few weeks in that stretch run game. I was not bashful in saying that the Falcons' offensive line was the worst offensive line I had ever watched uh, in the preseason, and they've made it work. I mean, they patched a couple guys together right in the last week of preseason and leading into the regular season, and they've made it work. And now they've got a guy who's one of the top ten r- leading rushers in the uh, in the NFL, and they're feeding Julio Jones the football. Matt Ryan is playing outstanding football right now you know a lot of credit to Kyle Shanahan I, I would think that he will be if the, if this continues that he will be a head coach in a year all right now this is the big one when I was drawing up these Drew Detective questions this was the one that I wanted to know 49ers head coach Jim Tomsula was accused of passing gas loudly during a press conference a lot of debate about whether yes this just in a lot of debate over whether it was real or if it was a leather chair as some people are claiming, <laughs> use your your detective skills. Tell oh, me what happened. Man. Played your detective. <laughs> I think someone stepped on a duck in the press conference room. <laughs> Could have been that. No, no. PT doesn't like that one. Oh man. Oh man. The He's... topics that come up during an NFL season are funny, but I don't uh, know. We're all having a gas with this one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> What's worse, last week's bear puns or uh, <laughs> the gas puns this week? I mean. We're not even going to touch that one. No, nah, I mean it's that's uh I'm going to go with the chair. I'm going to lean towards the chair and give him the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> we'll no. sit on the, we'll, I'll sit on that one. <laughs> all right. Sorry, I'm not offering more on this one. I mean, <laughs> I'll sit here and laugh like a 12 year old all day about it. But <laughs> last but not least, perhaps life's biggest question: Play Drew Detective is a hot dog a sandwich? No. I want to punch you in the face for asking this question. <laughs> is Elaborate. a hot dog a sandwich? No, hot dog is a hot dog. A hot dog is a hot dog. I don't care. Yeah, but technically, on, I don't care that it's on bread. It's I know. Not even, it's not even. It's it's a bun. It's not even bread. Everyone and their mother has asked this so question is it, in the last eight months, but no one. So is no it, one is asked. It, is a hamburger? No. A sandwich? No. Yes, it's it a is. Burger. Okay. Uh, first of all, first of all, no one asks is chili a soup, and that's a bigger, that's a bigger <laughs> debate than than a, I, a hot dog. I would sandwich. say chili is definitely a soup. It absolutely is. So I look okay, at chili by, as chili. Then by that reasoning, it's just chili. Then by that it's reasoning, a hot dog would be a sandwich as well if it fits the criteria. If it has all the physical elements, look my my belief is <laughs> look. my belief is that it technically is a sandwich, but anyone who refers to it as such is a Looney Tune. I would agree with that. In the, the last part of it, not the first part, but I would agree with that. Anyone that How come, okay, so if you go to a restaurant and they have the list of sandwiches and they'll have, you know, hot dogs and things like that on there, you never see hot dog on a right. sandwich. Well, hot dog's always on the kids' menu. You could, I'm, we could, th- I'm we thinking could, of like We could diners. debate that fact too, by the way. I would love to go to Applebee's and get a hot dog, but <laughs> it's another discussion for another day. All right. That was Drew Detective. I'm not sure which one of you guys is Matthew McConaughey and who is Woody Harrelson. Uh, but, you guys uh, watch the show, so... I'll let you decide. BT doesn't watch either. BT doesn't watch TV. Oh, well, that's that's <laughs> too a busy shame. listening to podcasts. <laughs> this maybe this segment was as bad as the second season of True Detective. Wow. <laughs> I certainly hope not. But all right, guys, that was fun. Let's move on to mailing it in. Captain. Incoming message. Please check your mailbox. A new message has arrived. And now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in our segment, Mailing It In. Like in the live drops. Yeah, me too. This is the first time that I've had it. Yeah. Typically, the the drops are added in post-production. Don't give too much away. Come on. It's it's like finding out there's no Santa. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Ah, it's it's Chris Stevens' birthday. We're we're just ruining everything. Here. Peaches, happy birthday to Peaches! Happy birthday, sir! Yes. So this week I'm mailing it in. Uh, just sent out a tweet from Ed Eagles Insider. Wanted to know. Here we go. How would you get the team back on track 
after the one and three start. What a difference there. We're going from the happy birthday music to hey, let's yeah. How we come back from one and three starts. So uh, letting letting the fans out there, you know, offer their opinion. How would they bounce back from the one and three start? And I'll just scroll through the mentions here. Uh, this one comes from at Nyquil made it wants to say trade for a halfway decent guard, get everyone healthy, start throwing to open up the run. And I mentioned that one largely because we already kind of delved mm-hmm. into that topic of the, you know, do they change the approach philosophically? I don't think they will. Cause that's what it's getting away from chip Kelly's MO. But, uh, in terms but, of the offensive line though, you're not, you know, I mean, they've been throw. They threw more than they ran yesterday, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't well, know the, the I answer. Think, could you say circumstances though dictate? Well, that's my well, like, to yeah. extent. Yeah. I mean, I think Chip Kelly is a highly adaptable coach. I think he's going to do. He's going to go with what works. So yeah. throwing the ball is working. Go for it. But to the offensive line, um, and they brought up trading for an offensive lineman. Trades in the NFL are so few and far between. Um, Certainly, and, and you know, someone has a good offensive line, and they're not just lining well, that's, up. To right. That's right. The, the point I was stammering on, I want to get there, is a lot of people will say, "Well, look at look at the talent that they have." You know, at the guard positions. I'm like, if you go across most NFL teams, if you get to the fourth or fifth lineman, you're probably you know you're probably thinking, "Oh, let's get someone to replace him." Like yeah. it's that easy? No, it's it's hard, and. We can get into the philosophy about the fact they haven't drafted anyone since Lane Johnson. You know, it's like last year, I'm sure they had, you know, some targets in mind, but are you t- taking, you know, Jeremiah Potassi? I'm just trying to think of a guy who was in the second round who went, um, mm-hmm. you know, for who's the first round guard? Lakin Tomlinson. Mm-hmm. Who would you rather have, Lakin Tomlinson or Nelson Aguilar? Right, I mean, and that's you the know, thing is that then it becomes I think an Eric the same, Rowe, well, then the same people would be saying, "Oh, well, I can't believe they didn't draft a cornerback uh, in this yeah. past draft." Like, what were they thinking? Not drafting? Could a corner? you imagine? Or if they right. had Jordan Hicks? Right, yeah, absolutely. Who would have thought that? Uh, it's, you got You have. You can't take need into account with the NFL draft, and you, whatever we want to say about the offensive line and, and the lack of success there and the lack of productivity and effectiveness, you know. You, I'm a hundred percent on board with how they've approached the draft the past few years. A hundred percent. If they did take an offensive, say they did take a guard in the first round, say they took a Lake and Tomlinson, and then the vertical passing game doesn't work out in the first few weeks like it has this season, then it's why didn't you draft a wide receiver? This team needs yeah. a deep threat. Right. Why not draft a guy like uh, Nelson, Nelson Aguilar? We can't, exactly. we can't have studs every single spot right. first round pick pedigrees. Like it just it doesn't happen. So you gotta have to. You know, you have to fill in the holes other ways and, and develop and, and improve in other ways. All right, next one comes from at JRock underscore 410. JR wants to know, or basically saying, they need to get back to the basics. They need to run the ball in a way where DeMarco can flourish best. After the game, he made the comments about, or he was asked, do you think you're getting the ball enough? And, of course, I think you've asked any player of that caliber, they're going to say no. Sure. And Chip Kelly said, I'm perfectly fine with that. And when they only have 51 snaps. 51 snaps. I mean. Not everyone's going to get enough enough touches. If you have have 51 snaps, and let's just say it was 50-50 run pass, which Mm -hmm. it wasn't. Right. uh, You know, obviously it was tilted towards the pass. But let's say it was 50-50. You have, we'll say, 25-25 run to pass. You have three running backs. I mean, those guys are going to get their, you know, Darren Sproles and Ryan Matthews are going to get their share. You're talking like in the in the low teens for for touches for Murray. And, and it's not like Murray had eight carries while Ryan Matthews had 25. Ryan Matthews had five carries. DeMarco Murray had the most carries on the team with eight. It was eight for him, five for Matthews, four for Sproles. Right. I mean, it's it's, it's not like you know the Eagles were in, like purposely going away from DeMarco Murray and giving it and you know still running the ball with Ryan Matthews. The passing game was open. They were trailing thirteen to nothing at halftime, so they were airing it out. That's all. I think that's all it comes down to. It's the, the the discussion we had in three and out. If you if you don't have success in first down, you're not getting success on third down. You're not moving the chains and creating more plays. And if you're running fifty plays instead of seventy five to eighty plays like this offense wants to, it's going to be less balls all the way around. Is there anything to the sentiment? And this is something that I've seen out there, Fran, that certain backs need to be fed more. To be able to get going, you know, look at, I mean, you could say DeMarco's first carry was his best carry of the season, 30 right. yard gain. Mm-hmm. Right. You look at the Jets game, Ryan Matthews had that 27 yard gain early in the game, but are there backs who the 
the more, the longer they're in the game, the better they are? Is there anything? I, you know, I think that there's something to that. But, the, I mean, if you're a statistics person, and I think there are a lot of people, obviously, that are, that are math people out there, the more you try something, the more likely you are to succeed at it. So, yeah. if yeah, if a, if a guy carries 20 times, he's more likely to have bigger runs than a guy or, or than a guy who carries a 10. I mean, if you, if you double the chances of success, then you're going to have more success. I mean, that's just kind of how it works. Um, so, I don't know. I, that, that's tough. That's a tough question. For a guy like Murray, you know, maybe that's the case. I don't know. Our good friend Sam Lynch says they should fire Joe Philbin. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one. Would answer that? I am the that's a tough one. Uh, Superboy wants to. Superboy. Superboy wants to know, or says that the Eagles should build the offensive line, take out Bradford and put in Sanchez. Is there anything to putting Sanchez in at quarterback? That's gonna that comes up every week. It comes up every time that it, and it, every time a pass falls incomplete, a fan wants to put in Mark Sanchez. And with with the way the offensive line, with how effective they've been to this point. I don't think it's going to make a difference. It's, re- I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, fans are always going to say it. Um, they're always going to want somebody else is always going to be better than the options that they have right now. There's always going to be a player that the Eagles need to trade for or pick up or draft next year. Um, but I, I don't see anything. I mean, that's what makes Sanchez. following sports fun. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Sure. Being a fan, of course. Sure. But when you see what Bradford did in the second half, that's what makes you want him to be in there. That he can make those types of throws. Now the question is, can we see that on a more consistent basis? And I think you want to see it earlier in the game too. It's, it's oh, the certainly. Well, I mean, you look at the game that they score twenty points in the first half. They win. They get the early lead. They're able to dictate, you know, the uh, the tempo of the game. Not so much mm-hmm. the tempo on offense, but you know, the pace of the game. Uh, what whatever they've been outscored, I think they have three in the three losses. Is it three first half points? I know they Total. haven't. They have not scored none this week, and it was none against Dallas. It was zero against Dallas. It was three against Atlanta. So Atlanta. I think they scored three first half points in yeah. the losses. Yeah, and they haven't scored a first quarter. Obviously, no they first quarter first points. Quarter, well, yeah, a touchdown or any points of any kind in the first quarter. And yeah, can't do it. Let's. Uh, Keep going through some of these here. Uh, Montgomery Brewster on Twitter wants to know, are the problems experience-based? No. I mean, I think we've all seen all these guys play before. It's not like that. I yeah. mean, and, and not necessarily. W- uh, I know that's probably more directed. They have experience with each other. Uh, I mean, we've seen all these guys succeed at different points of the season. We've seen DeMarco Murray belt off big runs. We've seen the offensive line all gel together. Uh, and and block up a hole for whether it was Matthews or Murray or Sproles. I mean, uh, we've seen the offensive line protect for deep shots down the field in the regular season and the preseason. So, did you see anything schematically different on tape this week than I know last week with the Jets game? We didn't see as much pulling as more outside zone. Did you see? Was they? No, they didn't go back to sweep this week. It was all inside outside zone. Okay. Yeah, it was all inside outside zone again. Um, and I didn't chart under center this week, uh, but I don't think it was. It definitely wasn't more than it was against yeah. the Jets, mm-hmm. and I don't think that that was a big thing uh, last week. So, wasn't necessarily surprised. Uh, Richard Pacella on Twitter says to teach the entire team how to catch. And Chip made this point where, you know, if Sproles makes the third down grab, if Matthews, I thought that was a tough grab. Change the grab or change the game. Change those change the game. You go back to some of the other plays during the course of the season you make one catch here or there it could be an explosive play yeah. could make all the difference in getting things rolling um trying to see oh we have a call from terry hoffman to get tebow back um yeah i don't know i don't know if that would do anything right now so that's pretty much you know there's some different things here there, but those are the, the consistent themes i would say from the Twitter fans out there. So thank you very much for the Absolutely. responses. And uh, I think that's going to do it for us here on the Eagles Insider Podcast, kind of tying a bow on this. Um, I mean, the biggest thing is they got to win this week. Yeah. You get to two and three. You get the New York Giants, Hall of Fame night, Maxie mm-hmm. Bond, Brian Westbrook be in the house. 
Monday, Monday night football. Monday night football. You know, the atmosphere will be electric. You get it at 500. <laughs> what song is this? You. Temple U. 4 0. Still not ranked, though, unfortunately. Still not ranked, unfortunately. 29th, I believe. They disrespectful. Were. Flat out disrespectful. 29th in the country. But get and a win. Have, uh, are you going to homecoming? I can't because oh, wow. last year my younger sister moved into her new apartment with her uh, her fiance, and I was in Arizona for that for the move for the yeah. game against the Cardinals. This year they're moving into their house next Saturday. I've got, I've got to be there. Got to support the fam. Say, uh, how many times though? I got to skip homecoming for housewarming. Oh wow. Yeah, but of all weekends, <laughs> I mean, it <laughs> blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's they're undefeated for homecoming. I know. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be at Tulane. the other games. Yeah, they play Tulane. No love lost there in that rivalry. The green wave. I actually, now that you say that, I actually didn't think about this. When did you look <laughs> this up? I am pretty sure that those two teams met in the first ever Sugar Bowl. Ever. It was Temple and Tulane. We'll say I that might have to the, look that up. We'll say that for the Journey to the Draft podcast. Yes, Later which debuted week. this week. Yes, it did. So go and uh, subscribe to the channel. Check it out. Um, C-Mac and I talked for 60 minutes on the dot about uh, college football and the NFL draft. Yeah. It's interesting. It's a uh, Philly-New Orleans weekend then. Yeah, oh, that's wow. a good Temple, point. Temple-Tulane, yeah. Eagles-Saints. I don't know. I'm not a Temple believer yet. Any team that loses to Fordham. That was a long time ago, That was two Alex. years ago. Long <laughs> time ago. First FCS win. First FBS Long win. Long time ago. Forum history. Go Rams. On that note, for Fran Duffy and Alex Smith, I'm Chris McPherson. Thank you for joining us here on the Eagles Insider Podcast.